Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So to kick this episode off, we're going to head back to last week's episode, which is how do I know if I'm an expert keeper? It was I, I enjoyed the topic. It was one that I shied away from because if you're going to take my, if I'm going to give my stance on it, there should be no such thing as expert keeper. That should be taken away. There's no expert in it. It should be experience keeper. And then how do you become an experience keeper? You get experience. That's it. That's cut and dry for me. I wouldn't. I'm not into the whole going online and trying to posture. I've been keeping spiders for 10 years. I've been keeping spiders for 15 years. I've kept these, but who cares? Like people, it seems to me that the people that are, you know, advanced or expert keepers, if there were such a thing, know it and don't talk about it. It's not something to brag about. They just feel comfortable. You know, I talk to people all the time just in the hobby through emails and through comments that you can tell, know their stuff, know what they're doing. And I immediately recognize this is somebody that has a lot of experience. That's the way it should be. But I think some folks feel like they're out there on the boards or out there on Facebook groups and they're wondering when they can assert their opinion. When do they, when does their opinion count? When is it valid for lack of a better term? Because it seems like a lot of folks will come on that don't have a lot of experience and they'll immediately get jumped on because people will recognize they don't have a lot of experience. So I think that's where that comes from. And as far as the original question posed, I believe she was thinking along the same ranks. Like at what point do I feel comfortable in this? And I think a lot of people do wonder about that, but I did have somebody email in with an excellent, what I think should be an excellent addition to the list. This one comes from Andy Anderson, who is a veterinarian. Just this is why when you get into the bulk of the letter, it'll be very clear. But Andy is somebody I've been trying to get on the show for a while. Our, just our schedule. We've had a lot going on. Our schedules didn't jibe. We were supposed to have him on last year. So hopefully this summer we can have him on because it would be great to talk to a veterinarian about you know veterinary medicine as it applies to tarantulas and spiders and from a veterinarian who is actually into the hobby, which would be great. So I got this email from him and immediately was like, oh, how did I forget this? Hey, Tom, another great podcast. You seem to end up saying exactly what I tell pet owners in practice. The last 10 minutes or so, the cast wouldn't play for me. So if you did cover this and that portion, please forgive me. One important thing that I think that applies to all pet owners and not just tarantula keepers is having a basic understanding of the anatomy and physiology of the animal they are keeping. I would advocate that this is an important aspect of pet owning, even for beginners, but I think that anyone wanting to be considered an expert keeper absolutely should have this baseline understanding. The reasons for this are multifold. Getting veterinary care for pets is a little easier when the owner understands what is normal, what isn't, and helps them in understanding the advice the veterinarian provides. As an example, let's say the owner doesn't know what the kidneys do. This is even more common than you may think. They may not understand the gravity of kidney failure in their pet. Of course, I always explain everything to them, but when you don't have lots of time for an appointment, I'm not always able to get into the specifics of what we will do for their pet because we had to discuss basic physiology. More tarantula exotic specific is that when you know how an animal works, it's easier to determine if something you are reading or watching about that animal makes sense. Tarantulas don't have muscles that extend their limbs and instead use their hemolymph like a hydraulic piston to push the leg outward. When tarantulas are dehydrated, they are unable to extend their legs and this can seem like DKS or something else. Having that little bit of familiarity with the anatomy helps. Same thing with the ICU enclosures. Tarantulas do not absorb moisture through their skin. They need to drink or be given fluid via injection. I tell my clients that when they are dehydrated, they don't go stand in the shower. They drink water or get an IV at the hospital. On an even more basic level, understanding anatomy allows keepers to read scientific articles and participate in more advanced discussions. The trochanter of leg three leaves no doubt as to where someone is talking about versus round part of the leg near the body. This is also very important now that the hobby is getting scrutinized by outsiders who would like to limit what we can and can't do. 
being able to discuss the animals intelligently, using the proper anatomical terms, and demonstrating an understanding of how they function only makes the hobby seem more legit. Personally, for me, I get more enjoyment out of the hobby the more I understand it. I'm not saying that everyone needs to take college courses or write papers on the subject. Just having a very basic understanding would be enough. I don't think anyone can be considered an expert keeper without having that knowledge. 100% agree with Andy. Don't know how I missed this one. Ironically, I've been toying with writing. I mentioned this before. I've been kind of over the course of years writing a tarantula book and trying to lay out chapters and figure out what I already have and whatever. And literally a week ago, probably just a week before I did this podcast, I was starting to put together some information for the anatomy section because I realized it's really important that people know basic anatomy of tarantulas, understand how they work. And I don't know how I spaced this, but I got this email. I read it and I'm like, duh. Sometimes you just put this stuff together and you're thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking. You're like, all right, I think I got it all. So thank you, Andy, for writing in. I agree. And this is really important. I think there are a lot of folks in the hobby that don't know the basic anatomy. They don't understand how tarantulas work. And it, and it goes beyond, I believe the example of dehydration is an important one because a lot of folks don't understand just basic how the tarantulas operate. The fact that they are hydraulics, that when they go into a curl because they're dehydrated is because they don't have enough hydration to keep their limbs extended all important information. Sometimes when you tell folks how to sex tarantulas and you mention some of the body parts, they're not familiar with them. So is this something people should be, expect to know right off the bat? Heck no. I didn't know anything about tarantula anatomy when I first got into the hobby. I tend to be like Andy, it sounds like very inquisitive. When I get into a hobby, I want to know as much as I can about it. So I started doing more research, drawing my own pictures, trying to figure out where things were and learn them. Am I perfect? No. There are things people bust out every once in a while that I have to go back and look at my little glossary for. But I do understand basic anatomy, and I think most folks should understand that to be considered quote-unquote experts. And I think another part of that, which has been a running theme in the podcast for quite some time now, is the fact that knowing these specific terms, knowing how they work, makes us look a little more, like Andy says, legit as a hobby because we are being scrutinized. We are being watched. There are people out there that do not appreciate what we're doing and think we are damaging. I will get into, I'm trying to decide, obviously everybody's read or most people have read the article that came out about the pet trade and how the tarantula trade and inverts are not regulated and how we are damaging the environment by taking these animals out. And I, again, I've been taking notes on it, but I don't like to jump to address anything. I have been saying for years, people are watching us. And I do think that's another part of this, that when you're able to legitimately go on and sound learned, sound intelligent, sound informed about the animals you're keeping, your arguments carry a little more weight. I mean, I've always tried to explain to my kids in school that when you get in an argument with somebody and you immediately resort to dropping F-bombs and, and swearing, you, you're you not taken seriously. If you can stay you know, calm, cool, and intelligent that's the better way to go. That's the one where people are going to look at you, listen to you, and you're going to seem like a more credible source, for lack of a better term. So Andy, 100%, I agree that should absolutely be on the list. And for folks out there, again, and this isn't something for people to get upset about, because I'm sure there's people out there that have been keeping for a while that are sitting there going, I, I don't know what any of those terms are they just use. I don't know what the tricanter is. That's fine. I think it's what it comes down to is having the basic understanding of how these guys work, the body parts, especially when you're describing things to other folks. We have to have a common terminology when we address our spiders. Like if you go to the doctors and they go, where does it hurt? And you go, I don't know, this thing hanging off my shoulder over here. It sounds silly, but that's what it can be like sometimes when people try to explain stuff about their spider. Like what's hurt about it? I don't know the, the big part on the end, the, the abdomen. And it, it sounds silly, but I've had situations like that where people don't know the terms. And that's fine. It's probably 
probably somebody new to the hobby, but if you've been in it long enough, this is definitely something you should be familiar with and know about and be able to, you know, at least identify the major parts of it. So Andy, thank you so much for writing in. As always, you've always got something great to add. When when I get an email from you, I always know it's going to be something good and something I'm going to be doing a future podcast on, or at least talking about in another podcast. So thanks again. So again, it comes down to experience, guys. I don't think it's an expert level. We don't give black belts out here. I've had people, I've literally, and this is no joke, had people come to me with lists of the spiders they've kept and a you know the amount of time they've kept them and then asked me to kind of bestow expert on them. And I'm like, hey, that's great. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of experience. Moving on. It's not my thing. So Great question, great original question, great addition from Andy Anderson. I love when people chime in with this stuff. Again, it's it's me over here sitting in a, in a hot tarantula room doing these podcasts, so I'd love to have feedback because it allows me to go back and kind of revisit these topics from another perspective. So to move on to our main topic for today, a little background, I've been toying with this for a while, and I think my, my biggest issue was trying to figure out, I'd love to do it as a video, I'll definitely do it as a video, but I also wanted to do it as an article. I've been neglecting the website, I know I've, this has been a running joke now for years, but I'm absolutely getting back to, I've got to do a lot of work on the website this summer. I'm getting a lot of folks that are finding me through the website. There's not a lot of mention of the podcast. There's not a lot of mention of YouTube. They don't realize there's a lot more information out there. So I've got to do some updates. And one of the things that I've been meaning to cover for quite some time is the difference between old world and new world tarantulas. And this is one of those questions that pops up quite a bit. I haven't spent a lot of time with it and haven't really covered it because it's one of those things I think a lot of folks that have probably found this podcast know about. And I think a lot of folks that find the videos know about, or at least that's what I thought. But every once in a while, I will get questions from folks. So what is the difference between the two? What are the big differences? And I think the differences are a little more nuanced and a little less exaggerated than people make them out to be. Now, I'm not going to lie. One of my, if you can call it agendas over the past, probably three, four years, has been trying to take the stigmatization away from old world tarantulas. Now, to be clear, this is not me coming out there and saying, because somebody always tries to twist it, and this has happened a couple times, going out there trying to say, hey, old world tarantulas are easy, just jump in and everybody can do them, not at all. But I do think, and I've mentioned this several times, as a hobby, we've done maybe too good of a job keeping people away from them. I think we've created a stigma behind them to the point where folks, some folks will never even try them, and it's kind of sad because I don't think they deserve that. So when I remember back in the day when I first figured out there was such thing as old world and new world tarantulas, it was something I was reading a description and somebody went, this old world species, and I'm like, ooh, what does old world species? mean. So I looked up old world versus new world tarantulas. And what I got was a lot of articles talking about how new worlds are very docile, easy to care for. They All they can do is kick these little hairs, not a big deal. Old worlds, they are aggressive. They're nasty. They will attack you. It, that was the vibe I got from it. And it was something that luckily I've been around animals long enough that I was really struggling to believe that they were quote unquote aggressive. Even back then it was like, all right, let me read more about this. Are these really things that are going to shoot out of their I'm going to open the enclosure. They're going to jump out, try to attack me. They're going to, there was things out there talking about certain old world species that always tag you multiple times and envenomate. And it was just like crazy stuff. And I think the intention was good for the articles. Now, looking back at it, I don't even know if these people even kept spiders. I, I read a lot out there. Every once in a while, I'll do a search for something and I'll come up with an article. And there's a lot of telltale signs that the person writing it, again, is regurgitating other information they 
probably never even kept tarantulas before. A lot of times it's on website, pet websites, where it's all different types of animals. If you want to know how to keep a guinea pig, it's here. If you want to know how to keep a bearded dragon, here we go. If you want to know how to keep a tarantula, here you go. We've never kept any of these animals, but we've got the information for you. And that stuff drives me insane because it's it's a lot of times it's not accurate information or it's tainted a certain way because these guys have gone out, done their research, and went, I want to and I want to expand my website to include tarantulas. I've heard those are the big a big deal now. Maybe they have a tarantula or two, but they're not really into the hobby. They're not hobbyists. So they go out, they do the research, and what do they pull up? All the same articles everybody else is reading that talks about the fact that new world species and old world species couldn't be more different, that new world are safe, friendly, fuzzy, cuddly, and obviously I'm exaggerating there, but that's usually how it comes across. And the old world species, they are nasty, defensive, aggressive. They have nasty venom. They will put you in the hospital. Luckily, people have stopped saying that they're going to kill you with bites because back in the day, I remember reading a couple of them. They're like, these bites could possibly kill you. And that was silly, but we've kind of moved away from that. So I guess that's a step in the right direction. But there's still a ton made about their defensiveness. And and they don't use the term defensiveness. They use aggressiveness, which I've always loathed the term. I will argue this. I'm sure somebody will email me after this one and argue, well, mine's really aggressive. I disagree. I guess it's just our terminology. And again, I've always said that aggressive means in my mind, when you say something's aggressive, it puts you in a mindset that you don't have control over the situation. This spider is hardwired to want to attack me. That's all it wants to do. Therefore, there's nothing really I can do about it. However, when you label them defensive, you are saying they are trying to defend themselves against something. They are responding to something that's happening to them, which means you can control that. It means the spider is feeling caught out in the open. It's feeling threatened. That's something you have control over. And that's one of the main reasons why I avoid the term aggression, go for defensive, because usually folks that see them as defensive, they don't see them as angry either. I hate that term when people are like these angry spiders. For lack of it, we've talked about the fact they don't have human emotions, but it would be more in the lines of threatened or scared. I mean, your OBT that's coming at you isn't like, man, I hate this guy. I want to kill him. It's this thing is going to try to hurt me. It's huge. I need to defend myself. So we need to work on how we think about these things. And to date, one of the most annoying comments I get, I always get comments on my OBT videos about how angry and nasty and aggressive they are. And usually it's some bonehead that's like, oh, I can't wait to get one of these. I've heard how bad they are. And I always come back with something like, hey, the burst your bubble. They're really not that bad if you keep them correctly. So with that in mind, I do want to discuss the obvious differences between tarantulas as far as new worlds and old world species. I think that both ways we have, even how we characterize new world species is an oversimplification of them and in a way sets people up for danger on that side. So we talk about the old worlds being scary and defensive and aggressive and all this stuff. And then we talk about, usually when they talk about new worlds, it's like, oh, they're just pet rocks. They just sit out in the open. They might kick some hairs at you, but they're just hairs. At least isn't a bite. And that's kind of misleading. So In this episode, we're going to break it down in terms of what are the major differences, but we're also going to take a closer look and examine, are they really that different overall? Are are we missing things on both sides of it? Now, where does the new world, old world come from? Obviously, if you know the whole story of Columbus coming over, quote unquote, discovering the new world, that's where it comes from. So new world represents North America, South America, the surrounding islands, the Caribbean islands. 
all the species found in the Western Hemisphere. And then on the other hand, we have Old World tarantulas, which are found in the Eastern continents, including Asia, Africa, Australia, Europe, some of the surrounding islands. Very, very simple, right? So what's the big difference between them? Obviously, being separated by an ocean isn't the only major difference. They did actually evolve differently as they went on. So let's look at defense first. Now, most folks are probably going to be sitting here going, yep, I know exactly where this is going, and you do. So uh, let's talk about defense. The Possibly the most profound physiological differences between New World and Old World tarantulas is their means of defense. New World tarantulas do not have that potent venom of their Old World counterparts. Instead, they have a unique patch of bristles or setae on their abdomens that they use to defend themselves. These hairs are what they kick off when they are threatened or in danger. They are barbed. They are irritating. As much as people like to pretend like they're not that big of a deal, they are actually quite, they can be quite nasty on the skin. They would cause itching, burning, the really bad hairs. You can get blistering. And they, for an animal that say there's a spider sitting out there and an animal goes to attack the spider, if they were to get these in their nose and in their mouths and in their respiratory tract, it could be quite the nightmare. So I, I say this because people tend to poo-poo the hairs. It's like, oh, hair is no big deal. They are not a lot of fun. So although the potential of getting exposed to some itchy hairs seems much less threatening than a bite, urticating hairs are nothing to scoff at. It's a fact that keepers will report that continued exposure to these hairs over time creates an increased sensitivity to them. So I've actually spoken to veteran keepers that have reported feeling itchy and irritated after entering a room containing New World spiders. So in other words, they don't even have to interact. They don't have to open the enclosures. They don't have to get actually haired. They just walk into a room and their skin starts to itch. And unfortunately, I've also spoken to many longtime hobbyists, and we're talking ones that have been keeping for 20 years or so, that have stopped keeping New World species because of that irritation. So as much as we like to pretend like it's not that big of a deal, these hairs are definitely nothing you want to play around with. Now, for the folks that are going to be out there, because this is what always happens when we talk about urticating hairs, I get emails and messages going, can you tell me a spider that doesn't have urticating hairs because I don't want to deal with them, they sound horrible. I've been working working with New World species for years now, and I've not had an issue with the hairs. You have, you can protect yourself. You can put on long sleeves when you do rehousings. You can put on gloves when you're doing rehousings and reaching into the enclosures. You can just take basic precautions. Using cups when you transfer tarantulas, those cups not only allow for the spider to feel safer when you're moving it, but if they do kick hairs, it contains the hairs rather than sending them up into the air. And then don't do your rehousings under fans like I used to do on my kitchen table quite a bit because that could be quite a problem. So I don't want folks who are on the fence here or looking and getting into new worlds freaking out. It's just it's a part that we don't talk about. We tend to think more about the bites and we don't think so much about the fact that those hairs aren't very pleasant either. So now let's move over to old world tarantulas and talk about their main line of defense. Old world tarantulas do not have the urticating bristles, meaning they rely more on their bites as a defense or deterrent. Old world venom is absolutely more potent than new world venom. Bites are particularly nasty for humans. That's the difference between the new world and the old world species. New world venom is really good for killing insects and mice. For example, there was a report years ago where they measured the toxicity of the potency of the venom of the G. porteria G. rosea. And there's a list out there that ranks it above most of the old world species as far as how potent the venom is. 
Why? Because they test it on mice. Mice biology is different than human biology. Something that kills a mouse very quickly might not harm a person that much at all. And in this case, that's true because a bite from a G. porteri, G. rosea, is going to be nothing more than a very large bee sting. I say large bee sting because let's remember they have very big fangs that are much larger than your basic bee or wasp stinger. So let's not ignore that part. We'll get to that in a moment. But the venom potency of old worlds is particularly nasty for humans. And when we talk about nasty, let's get this out of the way. Are you going to die from an old world bite? No, you are not. I believe there has been one case of somebody dying from an old world bite. It was, if I'm not mistaken, an S. calciatum, which is known to have very potent venom. I believe the person was in the jungle, bitten on the back of their neck, and they ended up dying. Now, obviously, that's a terrible, terrible spot to get bitten, and there's no word on whether there was infection, because a lot of cases, if you read about tarantula bites killing people, there was, like, one of them became gangrenous, and it was actually in a Fonopelma species, so you're not going to die if you get bit by it. However, you are going to experience some very, very unpleasant symptoms, and this is what tends to freak people out. This is what tends to make people say, I am not going to even chance keeping that spider. Some of the symptoms can include excruciating pain, localized pain. Some people talk about it spreading all the way up the limb. So you're bit in the hand. I've heard people say it's like somebody took a red hot knife, stuck it into the back of their hand, and then that pain slowly creeps up the arm as the venom spreads through the body. I've heard about heart palpitations. I've heard about cramping. I've heard about trouble breathing. And in some cases, the individual that has been bitten may find that a trip to the emergency room is necessary. Uh, but not fruitful because there's been a lot of situations out there where they go, the painkillers aren't working, they're trying muscle relaxants, nothing's working, they just kind of have to ride it out. And then in extreme cases, and there's been some history of this with like Pisolotheria venom, the cramping begins to get worse and you experience full body cramping. There was one story I read about an individual that was sitting in bed. They felt the cramps start at their toes, go through their feet, into their calves, into their thighs, and then into their chest. That's horrific. Let's call it as it is. And I don't, this is why I'm saying there's no way we're not playing down the venom. We're going to talk about it. Does this happen all the time? No, but it is something some people experience, and it sounds pretty horrific. And then there are cases of people just out of the blue suddenly getting an attack of cramping around where they were bitten or in their arms or in their legs from the venom months later. So in severe extreme cases, a bite from an old world tarantula can not only be very painful, but it can be potentially debilitating for a while. So when we compare those two lines of defenses, it's very easy to recognize why people are so terrified of old worlds. Because as much as I tried to build up the hairs before we started, now we're getting into full body cramping, heart palpitations, trouble breathing, nausea was one I missed. Nausea is a very common one with some of the old world bites. Now that I've mentioned all that, suddenly some hairs and some blistering don't seem that bad. And I get it. It's, again, it's more frightening to think about getting a bite that results in those types of complications as opposed to some hairs. That's the honest to God truth, but that is where it all stems from. We have one species that it offers a little bit of discomfort, maybe some itching, that's about it. And then we have another species that you could be taking a trip to the hospital with a pain level that nothing's touching. No painkillers are working with, no muscle muscle relaxants are not working for it. You're just left to deal with pain for up to a day, sometimes even two days. So let's get that out of the way. However, let's go back to another thing. Yes, new world species do have urticating hairs, 
but they can also bite. And that's important to keep in mind because I think we start to look at all new world species of, oh, they don't pose any threat, or if they bite, it's no worse than a bee sting. That's not always the case. New world spiders are just as capable of putting up a threat display and burying their fangs if provoked. There are many species that will resort to that right off the bat. Now, I can think of a few that I've had issues with. Uh, Tarina pelma sazme. I had mine went through a period when they hit about four and a half inches or so, where both of them were crazy. We'd throw up threat postures, and these weren't joking threat postures. These are ones where the fangs were out. And then let's think about some of the species that we have out there that are new worlds, like for Myctopus species, Theraphosa species, again, not necessarily Theraphosa, not necessarily the most defensive spiders in the world, although I have spoken to folks that have defensive ones. For Myctopus, mine are always quite calm, but I was just reading something the other day on arachnoboards where people were talking about which species are more defensive for Myctopus or Pamphibedia. So I think it was which species are best or which ones you prefer. And somebody was saying that for Myctopus are way more defensive than Pamphibedias. I have not found that. My for Myctopus are fairly laid back, but let's call it as it is. They can get to be eight, nine inches. And there are folks out there that said they will throw up a nasty threat posture. I've seen the threat postures before. They are impressive. And not only that, they will attack. They will try to keep you away by actively slapping and trying to strike you with their fangs. That's no joke. Just mechanical damage from half inch to three quarter inch fangs would be atrocious. Imagine if you've taken a tarantula mold. Next, next time you have a tarantula mold, take the tarantula mold and extend the fangs out and see how large they are, especially if you have one of these larger species. Imagine those getting buried in a tendon in the back of your hand. That's no joke. So I think sometimes we play up on the fact that the venom is the thing to be scared of. My theory is you shouldn't be trying to get bit by anything because I'll have folks say, yeah, I got new world species. I get bit by them, it'll be no problem. Nah, I disagree. That's still going to be a problem. Nobody wants to get bit by these things. So I think that's something that is left out sometimes when we compare the two together. Yes, one of them offers much, uh, much harsher punishment for slipping up and getting bitten. And that's obviously the old world species. But new worlds can bite. They have some big ones that can put a hurting on you. And then let's talk about the fact that there are also some new world species that lack urticating hairs and have temperaments more akin to their old world cousins. So common species in genera Salmopius, uh, Catamiri, Tapanakinius do not have urticating hairs, meaning they are more likely to rely on their bites as a deterrent. And I'm specifically in that with those species talking about Salmopius and Tapanakinius, there has so much been written out there about how they are much more defensive than your average, you know, new world species. And part of that's because of the fact they don't have those hairs. So guess what they're going to use for a deterrent? Their venom. And I've also read things, and I do not know if this is proven, and if somebody has the information, please feel free to chime in, but that Salmopius venom and Tapanakinius venom tends to be more potent than that of most new world species. So now we have more exceptions. The fact that not all new world species have those hairs, not all of them are going to be able to use those hairs as a first line of defense. Therefore, they are going to use those fangs. They are going to bite. So that's something that needs to be kept in mind. So I think we kind of have to look at it from a larger perspective. The fact that yes, one of them has the more potent venom. One of them might be more likely to use that more potent venom, but they're all capable of biting you. And again, those hairs are nothing to scoff at. Now, I think where this comes into play specifically, especially when we're talking about the Tapatakinius and the Salmopius, is the fact that folks will say, you know, I'll put a video up and they'll go, oh, they're New World? Oh, good. No problem then. 
No, no, no. We got to read a little more carefully. And that's because that new world stigma that all new worlds and a lot of folks do come into the hobby believing this, that all new worlds are overall fairly laid back and potentially handleable. And that's not the truth. And I can tell you that a lot of folks do this because I will do a video on a Salmopia species, and I will have several people ask, are these old worlds? These are old worlds, right? Why is that? Because they read that they are a little more prone to biting, they are faster, and they immediately assume that they're old world tarantulas. And there are some folks that just hear their new worlds and go, oh, good, that'll be easy. No, no, no. So that's why I bring this up. That's why I think it's important to examine it more closely. Now, I think moving on, the next category we're going to look at is speed, because another variation or another variance that is mentioned between the two, new world and old world species, is a vast difference in speed. Many folks will immediately point to most new world species being much slower, less prone to bolt overall, with some even receiving the designation of pet rock due to their propensity to sit in one spot for days, sometimes weeks. A queen would sometimes be sitting in the same spot for a week and and I'd like have to check on her to make sure she was okay. Now, when you look up popular best beginner species lists, they are usually filled with Gramostola species, Brachypelma species, Afonopelma species, because they have a reputation for being laid back, slow, and not easily spooked. The perceived lack of speed makes these species more desirable to new hobbyists who want a calmer animal and who are looking to possibly handle their pets because we can't take that out of the equation. I'm not the hugest fan of handling, but a lot of people come in with the expectation that they're going to handle. Now, old world species, on the other hand, are infamous for their speed and skittishness. However, although old worlds are equipped with potent venom, many overlook the fact that their first line of defense when threatened is to run, not to stand their ground and fight. And this is the part that's left out. This is the part that I didn't find out about until I started keeping them because nobody was speaking about it. We all immediately talk about them jumping to the defensive pose, slapping down the, the old threat pose, baring their fangs, trying to bite you, coming at you. Nobody talks about the fact that when they are kept correctly and they are given a place to run to, most of them, the majority, I've yet to have one charge me. Let's put it that way. I've been doing this for how long? I've kept probably, I want to say 40 to 50 species of old world tarantulas. I have never had one charge at me. They want to run. They will boogie. Or if the Pisolotheria species, they will use their terrific camouflage they will flatten out and try to hide one of those like when you're a kid you stop moving and you think you're invisible they do one of those things and I think that's kind of important to mention because not to give people a false sense of security obviously something could trigger a spider if it ends up out of its cage all bets are off that's something that's very important to mention that if you have a spider it's defending its own ground and it can get into its den it's fine but if it feels like somehow its den's blocked and it gets out of the cage now you're going to have a spider it's going to be quite defensive but I think the people need to realize that they will not necessarily resort to biting for the first line of defense. However, keepers used to calmer and slower New World species can be intimidated by the sudden bursts of speed, especially during rehousings. And this is where something's going to go wrong. The spider bolts, like we said, if it's out of its house, if it's out of its den, if it's out of its domain, you're going to be likely dealing with a defensive spider, and this can be terrifying. So the potential of the spider using its speed can definitely make a rehousing much more stressful without solid technique and planning, which is why I do so many rehousing videos to show folks this is the way to calmly get the spider from point A to point B without experiencing any of those scary defensive traits that we read about. I pride myself on being able to move these supposed aggressive old worlds 
from one point to another with the old world never acting up. I think the most I just did my OBT, I want to say middle of last year, not that long ago, I put her in a new enclosure and I got like this half-hearted threat pose while I was getting her out of the catch cup into the enclosure and then she turned around, went in the enclosure, she was perfectly fine. That's something that we all need, everybody in the hobby needs to be aware of, that yes, they can be defensive, yes, they can bite, but if you give them room to hide or get away from you, they would much rather do that. And it's important to recognize that speed isn't exclusive to old world spiders. I believe that a lot of folks come into the hobby and will tell me, oh yeah, no, it's no problem. I can deal with this one. It's, you know, this is a slow species. I've watched it. It barely moves. No, you haven't seen spider speed then. Any of these species are capable of bursts of speed, of capable of boogieing when they are motivated. I had once an H. chilensis that got startled and boogied. Like that thing could move. Plus, plenty of new keepers express they are intimidated by the speed of their C. cyaneopubicins or cyaneopubicins. And spiders, in, again, as we mentioned, in Salmopias, Tapetacinius, can be some of the fastest and most skittish spiders available. A lot of us that keep old worlds joke that they are much worse than Pisolotheria in terms of their propensity to bolt and their propensity to be defensive. They can rival the speed of any old world species, and many folks will talk about their slings being teleporters. That's something that we need to be aware of. Even the mighty giants in genus Therophosa, which includes the Goliath bird eater, the burgundy Goliath bird eater, and the pink-toed, pink-footed tarantula, giant pink-toed Goliath, something like that, the apophysis, they can move ridiculously fast when motivated. I have seen slings teleport. I've even seen the adults. You're, you're talking about a 9 to 10 inch spider as an adult at least, some of them bigger. That's a lot of leg. That's a lot of leg. They can move. So yes, in terms of defense and, and in general, the old world species are all going to be quite fast and they will bolt if they feel motivated However, we can't ignore the fact that the new worlds, even, you know, some of the slower ones can boogie, obviously not nearly as fast. I don't want anybody taking away that I'm saying they're just as fast. They're not, but I still think somebody who's not used to working with spiders can be surprised by it. And then some of the new world species can give the old worlds a run for their money. So although the majority of old world species run the table when it comes to speed, there are plenty of new world spiders that can give them a run for their money. And it can't be overstated that even the slow species are capable of bursts of speed when motivated. Now, behavior and temperament. This is where things get interesting. We now know the tools these two classes of tarantulas possess to defend themselves. I think it's time to discuss how likely they are to use these skills. When searching for best beginner tarantulas, you're bound to discover endless lists debating which of a gorgeous array of spiders is best for the new hobbyist. And although these lists will include many different species from many different genera, you can bet that there will be one thing in common with all of them. Every one of them, well, if it's a reputable keeper, every one of them will be a new world tarantula. And that's because when constructing these lists, one of the most important factors keepers take into consideration is temperament. After all, most new keepers don't want a giant, furry, unruly spider on their hands. So with that in mind, most hobbyists recommend only new world tarantulas like, again, the Gramostolas, the Brachypalmas, the Fonapalmas, sometimes a couple Lazy Adoras in there. The C. Uh, Cyaneopubicins gets put in there every once in a while, although that one's kind of more on the difficult end of things, but a lot of people keep them with no problem. 
Many species in these genera have a reputation for being much more laid back and docile as adults and not prone to bolting or defensive behavior. Species like B. hemorii, G. pulchropes, T. albopolosis, A. calcotis are also coveted as pets because they are usually very visible. The fact is, one looking for a calmer spider to admire and to show off to friends and family would definitely be wise to consider one of these species as pets. But then there is the fact that if startled, these species are less likely to bolt or bite, instead resorting again to using those urticating hairs as a defense. And for many, the idea of being exposed to some itchy bristles is a lot less threatening and more palatable than having a giant spider latch onto you with large fangs and inject you with venom. So that's just common sense. Bottom line, mistakes can happen, especially with those new to the hobby, especially during rehousing. Therefore, it's definitely much more prudent for a keeper to learn the basics of husbandry and care with a species that is more likely calm and doesn't possess that potent venom. And that's why we warn people away from old worlds until they get some experience. I think that's a valid argument. I think that is a valid warning. I definitely do not encourage folks to jump right in the deep end. Now we've gone through, this is another whole podcast I've already done. And I've talked about how some people can jump in and do well, but I think the majority of people that don't have that experience, you want to learn with the easier spiders and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, especially during rehousings. Most of the new world tarantulas offer less of a threat than the old world tarantulas. It's, it's just a fact. So when talking about the behaviors, let's get this out of the way first. A frightened old world tarantula can be incredibly defensive and will not hesitate to bite a perceived threat, which may be you. Anyone who has seen an angry OBT fangs bare, dripping with venom as it violently slaps the ground, falls over on its back, scrambles up, it's horrific. It's an incredibly frightening display. And let's not forget that a bite from one of these spiders could easily result in a trip to the emergency room. However, Again, we have to point out that old worlds would much rather run and hide than stand their ground. Most will quickly bolt to the safety of their burrows or, in the case of Pisolotheria, flatten them out, as we mentioned earlier. And unlike many of their New World counterparts, and I'm looking at the Brachys, the Grammys, the Afana Pelma, they do not like to be caught out in the open. And by that, I mean they will not just sit there. The majority of them will not just sit right out in the open for you to admire. Most of them will create dens. They'll burrow. They're fossorial. Even some of the arboreal species will start off their lives fossorially, digging dens. They will create web dens. They will web up their enclosures, create these giant web dens, and they will hide in the webbing. Arboreal species will either web up around plants or they will use foliage or the uh, around cork bark or go behind a cork bark to again hide. They do not want to be kept out in the open. And the fact is, if these species are set up correctly and given the correct requirements, then defensiveness under most circumstances can be completely avoided. And that isn't discussed a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have these reputations for them being so problematic is the fact that a lot of folks traditionally have not kept them correctly. In fact, the only downside about them is that if given adequate space to burrow or hide, you might not see them much at all. So for example, let's take the popular C. lividus or the cobalt blue. 
A lot has been written about how aggressive and ornery the species is. This was one of the first blue spiders I ever identified when I started doing research. I was immediately enamored with it. But then everything I read was about how nasty and quote unquote aggressive they are. They will charge at you. They will bite repeatedly. They will slap at the ground. They are just awful. However, this is a species that if given the room to burrow, you will rarely see it. You'll never see them out. My girl was never out. You'd occasionally kept, you'd see two little blue legs poking out when she was hungry. That was about it. The problem is those who keep them correctly report a shy spider that can only be caught outside of its burrow at night. The problem is nobody hears this. Like I, I have people contact me all the time. I want to get a cobalt blue. I the, That's probably the biggest spider I get where people contact me and go, hey, would it be okay if I just set up as a terrestrial? I don't care if it's nasty. No, it's not okay. Give it the space to run. Give it the space to hide. Allow it to do its natural burrowing so it'll be comfortable in its own surroundings. Sadly, I think this species in particular got its terrible reputation through pet stores. This was one that was readily available. You'd a lot of times back in the day see wild caught females in you know these terribly set up enclosures in pet stores where they had like an inch of probably the wrong substrate no hide a bunch of crickets bouncing around them lights on them and they were terribly for lack of a better term again scared they were agitated they were stressed and therefore you would see those threat postures and then what would happen little johnny would come in and go that spider's amazing i want that they would buy the spider they would look at how the pet store got it set up so they would bring it home they'd stick it in a 10 gallon aquarium they put like a couple inches of gravel or something in there that wasn't appropriate for the spider and then they bring their friends over and go look at this thing's crazy it's nuts no it's stressed out it's not being kept correctly and this i can think you know we talked about the obt ad nauseum about the fact that the obt had been miskept for years people were trying to keep them terrestrial terrestrially and they were becoming very agitated and stressed so you were getting those threat poses here's the deal i have right now in my room i think 40 something i was 40 we'll say 40 to 50 species of old world tarantulas i have seven different obts i have the selena cosmia orphanacus you name it i have zero problems with behaviors I get. And, and this is something that I think we need to think about and, and put into perspective. During feeding time, I receive, receive zero threat poses, zero threat postures, zero issues with spiders bolting out and getting upset or kicking hairs, nothing. The only spiders that I tend to get some types of defensive responses from when I do feeding and maintenance are the new worlds I have that sit right out in the open. I went to go feed and do fill the water dish of a bee smithy earlier today, about a, a two and a half inch juvenile, beautiful specimen. Took the top off the enclosure. She bolted around. She kicked hairs. She was crazy because the new world species don't necessarily burrow. They won't. That's not to say all won't. There are many that will burrow. You know, I'm thinking. My Fonapelma simani right now is burrowed. Generally, spiders that burrow and are given the room to burrow and given the room to hide are going to be much calmer. So when you look at it, is the potential there? Yes. Are there things you can do to make sure that 99% of the time your spider is calm? Absolutely. And I, again, I've rehoused hundreds of old world spiders over the years, and I've honestly not had many issues with them. Now, again, I practice good husbandry. I practice safe 
rehousing techniques. I'm very, very careful. If you've seen my videos, I often get flack from people that are like, you're too careful. But that's part of it, being careful and minimizing those mistakes that could lead to the spider getting out or the spider's defensiveness being triggered. So behavior-wise, if kept correctly and given the space to burrow, to hide, to web up without having to worry about their web being torn up when you open the enclosure. If it's a, a, an, an arboreal species, given that cork bark round or cork bark flat in a way that they can hide behind it, given fake foliage around it, they will use that to kind of creep behind the thing because they feel more secure, they feel hidden. If you give your old world spiders that, most old worlds under normal circumstances are going to be very well behaved. You're not going to see them, basically. New world species, those Afonapelma, Gramostola, I've got more hairs kicked at me in threat postures and bolting from those than I can count because they don't necessarily use burrows. They like being out in the open. And so when you open that enclosure, it's like you're exposing them. I think in some cases they feel like their their whole home, their whole enclosure becomes their den. So you open it up and you get some of those behaviors. So yes, the behavior, once they are jacked up, the old worlds absolutely pose more of a risk. I'm not even going to deny that. And a jacked up old world compared to a jacked up new world world two different leagues there i will you know i obviously if i'm gonna have two species of spiders i'm gonna have on one side a b smithy on the other side i'm gonna have a p murinus and obt which one's gonna be a little scarier if it's jacked up it's gonna be that obt because i know what happens when they get really jacked up they get nasty where with the p smithy i may have a threat pose i usually it's just some kicking the hair running around so let's not discount that but i do think the good keeping that's why we do the videos and that's why we do the articles and that's why we do the podcast to show how important it is to really get the hang of this stuff before you get into keeping these species this is the experience part that everybody talks about that you know you need some experience you need some experience that's what it's about get that experience and then Try your hand at one of these guys. So I, I think in terms of be, you know, if we're really going to narrow it down and, and oversimplify it in simplistic terms, new world tarantulas are generally speaking more laid back. They lack the venom. That's not generally speaking. They lack the venom that's potent towards humans and old worlds are usually quite fast, have medically significant venom and can use their speed and fangs to put a hurtin' on anyone who messes with them. That's the, the short version. However, as we've proven, this oversimplification can be a bit misleading. The fact is, any tarantula, both New World and Old World, can be defensive or calm. There are plenty of stories out there about New World species throwing up threat postures and kicking clouds of hairs upon the slightest disturbance, or attacking water dishes or tongs during maintenance. Conversely, many folks report Old World spiders that are quite calm and laid back, even when caught out in the open. It's also important to note that temperament can vary from spider to spider, and there are no guarantees when it comes to how one of these animals might behave. And I try to impart that little bit of wisdom into every video, every time I talk to somebody. Yes, mine's calm, but that might not be the case. Yes, yours might be calm, but other people might not have a calm one. It goes, it works both ways. There can be, people can talk about, hey, I have the calmest OBT ever. Somebody else might have that crazy one. I believe that. I mean, it could be kept perfectly fine. It could be a crazy little OBT. That's fine. That's, it's just like people. It's just like dogs, just like cats, whatever animals you keep. They have different personalities. They have different temperaments. The reality of it is there are so many variations between even just spiders and new world, you know, new world spiders, old world spiders some old worlds being crazy, new worlds being crazy, whatever, that it's these overgeneralizations work to a point, but then you got to just kind of get some experience and start recognizing some of the things you can do to prevent having any, any type of wild, crazy, defensive, 
aggressive spider. The trick, in my opinion, is to treat all tarantulas, all species of tarantulas, with the utmost respect, care, and caution, and to practice safe husbandry techniques no matter which spider you are working with. Over the years, I've exercised the same caution when rehousing new world species that I do when I rehouse old world species. And sadly, I've had folks come on and, and jeer and point and make fun of when I'm like rehousing, say, a G. Polkerpies and I'm using the catch cup and I'm showing everybody how to get it safely in the catch cup. I put the cardboard over and they're like, what are you doing? Just pick it up and move it. That's an easy species. Are you afraid of getting bit? Nope. I'm practicing good technique with every spider I work with. I don't care which species it is because the problem is if you start working with some of them differently than you work with others and you're taking some and just kind of picking them up or you're prodding them into the new enclosures, then you might be inclined to do that when you're working with a species that could have you know, a, a worse bite or could bolt on you. I think that is the biggest part, you know, for folks that want to get into those new world species, treat them all exactly the same for the time being. And I know there's going to be folks that are shaking their heads like, oh, you don't have to do that. Whatever works for you. I'm telling you, I've done this for a long time. To date, I've kept I like 120, 130 different species of tarantulas, you know, 50 species of old worlds or more, a bunch of species of new worlds. I've honestly not had a serious problem with any of them. During feeding time, quick tap on the cage will send my old worlds running to their burrows or webs, which will allow me to feed and perform maintenance without fear of agitating the spider. I've never had one charge out of its burrow at me or try to escape when I opened its enclosure. On the other hand, with the new world species, I've received some threat poses. I've received plenty of hairs kicked. I've had spiders bolt. I think it's important to look at those differences, not to let our guard down with old worlds, but to give us a better perspective of why maybe we shouldn't be so darn scared of them. And I think that's the point of breaking this down, to recognize there is a difference between respecting an animal and being scared of an animal. There's a difference between informing people that they should be cautious and scaring people with rhetoric and words like aggressive, defensive, nasty, evil, demonic. I hate that garbage. I absolutely loathe it because it sends an unrealistic view of animals that, in my opinion, with old world spiders, are some of the shyest creatures you will ever keep. And I had folks come on and go, oh, you say shy until they bite you. No, I say shy because I keep them correctly and I can keep them from freaking out. Now, again, this is where back to our other podcast that we just did about what makes an expert or what makes an experienced keeper. I do strongly believe that you need to get experience with the vast majority of us. There'll be people out there that are exceptions to the rule. The vast majority of us need to get some experience rehousing new worlds before we move into old worlds. We need to have that down. You have to, and you guys... Those of you that have been in the hobby for a while, you know your comfort level rehousings. You know that you don't stress about them the way you used to. Everybody remembers our first rehousings. Because if something's going to happen, let's call it as it is. If something's going to happen and there's going to be an accident that triggers that defensive behavior from an old world, 99% of the time it's going to be during rehousing or somebody, you know, when it happens other times, somebody's screwing around trying to get a photo of it. So playing around with the spider when they don't have to, trying to tease it out of its den, people playing around trying to feed them off tongs, things like that. If you keep these animals responsibly, the only time, I will say it again, the only time you should be worried about having any issues with them is during those transitions, during those rehousings. Other times you should have basically you should be staring at a wall of web. You should be staring at a hole in the ground. You should be staring at a bunch of foliage and a cork bark because your spider should be hiding. So I say this not to give people a false sense of security about keeping old world tarantulas. I want to make that very clear. They do deserve your utmost respect in all capital letters. I would not back down from that. You do need to have your rehousings down. 
However, they shouldn't be the big bads we make them out to be. It shouldn't be something that we talk about them in a way that it scares folks from ever keeping them. Again, with all the spiders I keep, I have fewer problems with my old worlds than my new worlds. And that's the honest God truth. I went back through and just kind of walked around the room and took a tally with the notebook of how many threat postures I've received from certain spiders, or how many spiders I've had kick hairs, or how many spiders I've had bolt. Not a single old world. I have no issues with them whatsoever. The only times I've ever gotten a, th- a threat pose from an old world is when I've dropped a cricket in and startled the... Everybody's done this before. You drop a cricket in, it bounces off the spider. The spider's like, whoa, throws up the threat posture. And it's a, a minor disturbance. And then it realizes it's food and it eats it. It's fine. I've had that happen with my H. Pulcropias. I've had it happen with my M. Balfouri before. And it wasn't a very... It was a very lame threat posture overall. Not overall, very, very, very well-behaved animals. So... This goes back to our, you know, running theme, running motto through all these. It's about being responsible. It's about being careful. It's about not estimating these animals, whether you're rehousing your little cute fuzzy T. albopelosis or whether you're rehousing a C. lividus. Treat them all with the same respect and you should be absolutely fine. I can tell you after years of doing this and treating them all the same, I approach all of the rehousings exactly the same now. And with the same level of nervousness, if that makes sense. Like I don't go in, it's no longer like back in the day, I would sit down and be like, all right, we're going to be rehousing my AC money. And I'd be like, oh, I'd be a little bit nervous, but this is going to be easy. Then I'd be like, oh gosh, we're going to go rehouse my M. Balfouri. The heart would be going up. I'd be a little more nervous. Now it's just, it's the same level of, all right, here's what can go wrong. Here's what we plan on. And I, I I treat them the exact same way. And I think that's a healthy way to do it. I treat them both with the respect they deserve. And I don't expect it. One's going to go better than the other anymore, because I'll tell you, I've had more issues with rehousing new world species than I have with old world species. So I treat them all exactly the same. So that would be my tip to folks that are getting into this, you know, practice, obviously practice, practice, practice your rehousings. Don't grab one if you're not ready for it. And you know if you're not ready for it because if you're doing rehousings with new world species and they're freaking you out and you're getting jacked up and you're making mistakes and you're dropping things and the spider's getting out and there's threat postures and everything, you need some more practice. There should be, you should be able to move the majority of these spiders from one place to another without triggering that defensive behavior, at least not triggering it to a point where the spider's going nuts and you're chasing it around the house. If you're starting to feel comfortable with it, if you're feeling like you know, more confident. You you recognize the feeling. I've had, again, folks will ask me when they're ready for them. I can't tell you that. I can tell you're ready for it when you're not having nightmares the night before that you have to do it. When you're not putting off a rehousing. Like I've had folks go, oh, I've had this OBT. I've had to rehouse for six months, but man, I'm dreading it. That's a problem. You should be able to do those rehousings when they are needed. And again, don't, if you're one of those folks out there that's right now getting into the hobby, you're keeping new worlds and you're reading all this stuff about old world tarantulas and you're like, yep, no way, not for me. A, let me just say anybody that decides absolutely not, I don't even want to risk it at all. The risk of that venom is too much. You have my 100% utmost support. I want to make that clear because I know there's some folks out there that will jump on and go, what do you mean you're not going to hold it? Don't, don't worry about it. No, no, no. If, if that's the case, that means you're not ready for them and you may never be ready for it. And that's fine. There are plenty, obviously, plenty of new world species to keep. But for those of you out there that are hearing all these negative things that you've looked up online, hey, what are the differences between old world and new worlds? And you've read these articles that have only talked about that new worlds are nice and safe and cuddly and old worlds are going to bite your face off. No, that's not particular. That's not true. That's not exactly how it is. It's a lot more complicated, a lot more deep than that. I honestly believe that good husbandry, good setups for your spiders 
can make or break you in terms of behavior. That would be my final word on this one, that regardless of new world, regardless of old world, whatever species, your setup is most likely in most circumstances going to dictate what type of temperament you get from your spider. So give it the correct setup, give it the room to dig, give it the room to hide, give it the room to burrow, you should be just fine. So hopefully this was a different take on this. I am I have a, an article mostly written out. I will be posting an article up on my website pretty soon that covers the same topic. I will include a link to the podcast in it for folks that go, this article is too long. I'd rather just listen to it. And obviously the listening version gives you a much longer version with, you know, my voice, I guess. <laughs> Seriously, I do talk about the points a little bit longer, but I do want to get this one out there because I've seen what's out there is in terms of covering this topic. And it's, again, I, I can only think it's, it's done by folks that haven't really kept them that don't know the nuances, that don't know the differences, that don't know, you know, telling somebody that something could be defensive and telling somebody how to reduce that defensiveness are two different things. One of them's helpful, one of them's not. I won't, I'll let you decide which is which, but hopefully this will get out there and calm some people down who are thinking about making the switch, it gives them a little more in-depth view of the differences between them and how you can mitigate those differences. And hopefully it'll, it'll allow for people to be a little calmer when they do make the switch. Because I, again, I think it's important they are aware. I am absolutely 150% behind people being aware of the differences between old worlds and new worlds and what the old worlds can offer. Obviously, we talk about the hair being nasty, but those bites are no joke. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that. But I also think we don't want it to turn into scare tactics. That doesn't do anybody any good. That creates a situation when somebody finally decides, hey, I'm going to do this. They lack, it makes them scared. They're scared to make that move. It should be, again, there shouldn't be fear involved. It should be respect. You should be careful. But if you go into that scared, that's going to cause a whole bunch of problems. That's when things go wrong. Somebody doing a rehousing that's scared of the spiders is just a nightmare waiting to happen. So that will do it for this one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Hopefully people that know all the differences, it just gave you a different perspective on it. Or at least in the very least, I hope that this podcast and the article that will come out and I will be doing a video of it. That's the game plan at least. Hopefully more people will see that. A lot of times I do stuff, I put it out there and go, ah, people will find it if they need it. This is something I want people to see before they see the other stuff out there because I think it gives them a perspective from somebody who does have some experience keeping them and who has kept a lot of these species and can report that if you do it correctly, if you do it right, you shouldn't have much to worry about. So as always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. I just post up a video of my H Maxima Thai cave spider. We did a rehousing of that, and then I post up a short afterwards to show what it looks like after it came out because we didn't get very good footage of it because we basically dropped the old enclosure in and just let it come out on its own because I wasn't messing around with the speed of these guys. It was behind the cork bark. There was no way for me to safely get it out without an incident, so we just dropped it, and it worked out well. It came out sitting on the glass. It's eating, doing great, so check that one out if you want. That'll do it for this one, guys. As always, stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.